Welcome to the 10th episode of the Endurance Asia podcast. We've had a, a week's break. Uh, Rick and I have been uh, been on holiday back in the UK, but um, but looking forward to sharing the, the latest episode. And, uh, and this is the 10th episode, and we've got Ryan Blair, uh, resident of Hong Kong for the past 25 years, and a US national that is essentially responsible of bringing uh, adventure racing to Asia originally um, as one of the founders of the Action Asia Challenge was then sponsored by a National Geographic and and took the race across the um, Asia region. He has now um, founded, as part of the um, APA, his um, his company, has also founded the, the North Face Adventure Racing Team, which has really showcasing some of the top Asian athletes, uh, including uh, Stone Sang. Um, it's also including Jay from Thailand and uh, Stingray, who's just a uh, Filipino, who's just taken the trail running scene by storm of late. They're all currently on their way to uh, to race UTMB right now, and uh, and yeah, so so this weekend and this this coming week is going to be a, a a big week in the in the trail running um, schedule globally, and um, and yeah, the the North Face Adventure Racing team are there in force. So um, yeah, this is a really good story about how he sort of brought that team together and uh, and uh, and adventure racing to to Asia as well as his exploration through. Um, through Nepal and Vietnam. So, without further ado, here's Ryan Blair. That's a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Ryan, how's it going? Great. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Oh, mate, so good to have you join us on the Endurance Asia podcast uh, here in Hong Kong now. And, uh, and yeah, I think... I, I was taking a trip to Hong Kong and I, I wanted to, um, uh, there's a few people that I've been wanting to get on the podcast from here and you were pretty much at the top of that list to being uh, the kind of founder of the, the North Face Adventure Racing Team and just having an amazing track record in a multiple multitude of in, endurance sports. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really pleased that you could, uh, could come and join us before... Uh, for taking a flight on for your holidays. Um, Wonderful. In the world's number one uh, trail running city, I must say. Is, is that like, I, the, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, in your eyes? I or think, is that? You know, I think you can, for trail running, I mean, for outdoor adventure, you can definitely say in Asia, um, yep. the, the leading city, and it has been for, for decades, as far as not just what's here, but just kind of leading the trends and and uh, one of the first cities to introduce many of the various, you know, outdoor adventure sports. Um, but trail running, especially, gosh, you look at the number of events, the number of people, it's off the charts. I mean, where name one city on the planet where it would even come close to rivaling, um, you know, also the, the, the amount of trails in the proximity, you know, yeah. I mean, literally anywhere in the city, you're a five or 10 minute taxi ride from a jungle trail. Yeah. That's and then, what I mean. It's, and then from what September, late September to May, every weekend, 
races that are getting 1,000, 2,000, in some cases, 5,000 participants. I mean, I come from like one of the, you know, one of the, you could say a major outdoor town. I mean, it's not a city, it's a big town, which but is Bend, Oregon. Yep. But I mean, it's a Mecca for athletes, et cetera. I mean, the biggest, you know, the biggest trail running event all summer will be like, I don't know, three or 400 people. And that's, yeah. it's like one race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I it's, think it's, it's the, nuts. You're right. I mean, we're looking around here and you can just see all of the hills around, but the uh, the accessibility of the trails here in Hong Kong is just what makes it so special, right? Totally. And that's why for me um coming from, you know, I come from central <clears throat> central Oregon where you know, I grew up on a ranch with a view of nine mountains and three rivers running through the whole region and I mean, just basically outdoor paradise and to rock up in a place like Hong Kong, I mean, and still be here, you know, whatever it's been 25 years later as a, not always my base, but most of the time my, my base. And, uh, it, for sure the, the, the fact of it's such an amazing outdoor city is the, you know, the key reason why I've stayed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other reasons as well, but it would be hard to, to call it home, you know, without, you know this amazing amazing outdoors yeah on so, your, on so your let, doorstep. Let, let's take you back to so 25 years ago you first uh, set foot on the uh, on hong kong island um so yeah back in um back in 90 sorry was it 92 90, or 90, 92 yeah 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 92 <laughs> what brought so what brought you here originally what i well i i was actually going to university in california at the time and uh and had had a chance just to to quite a unique situation where my school had this direct link up with Hong Kong University. I mean, at that time, I think there we think we were the only school that I knew of that had such a link. The, the number of foreigners there was so so small, yeah. um, and uh, I jumped on it. It was supposed to be a couple months, or you know, like I think a semester, which is three months at the time. And I was like, gosh, I've been here for like one or two months. I'm like, I can't. I gotta figure out a way to make this last longer. It's just. And plus, you know, a few months is like an extended holiday or something. I was like, I want to really like dig my teeth in and, and just explore a bit more. And so that year I figured out a way to make it work for a whole year. And um, I took off to Vietnam um, that Christmas and just completely blew my mind. I mean, just really changed me in terms of <clears throat> just, um, well, I mean, like, Vietnam, being an American, right? Vietnam was uh, always a, it was like the subject nobody wanted to talk about, you know, at home. My, my dad was in the war. He spent a year, you know, fighting in Vietnam. And and um, it, uh, my generation was basically educated by Hollywood, you know? Nobody in my parents' generation wanted to talk about it. You didn't really, you know, in history class or whatever else, it was a bit of a sore, you know, American, it's a sore subject. We, you know, it didn't work out <laughs> very, yeah. and it, was well, like, it wasn't a positive, you know, or we shouldn't have been there to begin with. And, and, um, apocalypse now, oh, would have and, been the main, yeah, yeah. well, we're like, yeah, we're like Rambo. And so yeah. here I'm growing up, I'm growing up in the generation that thinks that it's, or is being told that it's still full of POWs and that, you know, the, these people are so bad and, yeah. um, and so just to go there and, and here in 92, which still was, you know, that was when Clinton was president. We still had the, see, he lifted the embargo, I think, in 94 or 95. Um, so, like, technically, Americans weren't even supposed to go there. You know, still this, basically, there's economic war still strangling the country. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and I did this solo adventure from Hanoi to Saigon over like, you know, better part of a month and just every, every mode of transport you can imagine, you know, from the back of a motorbike to, you know, buses with chickens and pigs and everything yeah. to, to hitchhiking, you know, you name it to get, to get through trains. Um, and just, I mean, the people I met, the, I mean, just the salt of the earth and just so, I mean, just, I mean, I literally, I can remember spending Christmas that year in a village on the beach where they, they're, and they were actually happened to be Christians, which is a, a small minority, um, at, at, at the time, maybe, I don't know, 5% or something. And, um, and so it was quite sensitive actually for me to be there being, cause they were monitored by the, the, um, back then the Christians were, they were seen as a, um, potential, um, threat or whatever to the, you know, communist government. So they had observers coming to their church to watch and stuff. But I figured out a way to, I found this, just bumped into this really nice guy on the beach. Not that I was, you know, looking for a Christian church or anything, but his village, still the roofs on some of their, on on their church was still blown off from the war, had not been repaired, you know, 20 years later. I mean, just things still hadn't been rebuilt. But here, you know, him living through this, and he, I mean, this guy would have given me the shirt off his back. I mean, his father, who had probably seen those bombs being dropped, um, and just just them experiencing that and being just so friendly to me. So here's this young American coming back to their village, and it was like, yeah, they would have given me the shirt off their back, you know, and they fed me. They There was a huge rainstorm. I ended up spending the night, like, illegally there, and the, the authorities found out about it. There was kind of this big thing where they you know, came, it's a long story, but, but yeah, they, um, they were just unbelievable host yeah. and, and just, so, so the, the kind of point of the story though, I was, you know, it was such an eye opening experience in terms of, um, just, you got to see things for yourself to see the reality. Don't just look what the media is showing. Don't just look what you, you know, read in here, go there, talk to people, see, and that, in a lot of ways that kind of just led into this greater, um, it just, just, it just totally fed my curiosity to travel and explore more, you know, um, of course, when possible to spectacular outdoor areas, not just like cities and stuff, but in general, right. Yeah. It's like, and, and it also gave me that whole strength too, of just, or that whole frame of mind of there's nowhere on the planet that, you know, I'm afraid to go alone. Just go, you'll figure it out. You know, all my, I went back home and everybody's like, Oh, you, you know, you know, they don't speak English. What do you, you know, what do you eat or what do you, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's quite you know, alien for you, a, lot of, yeah, a lot of other people. Especially Americans. Do that. Yeah. yeah, especially Americans. But Vietnam back in 92, because I went there in 2002 and I actually found that it was quite intense in terms of like they were like, everyone's trying to get money from well, you. So, or you, trying so, to, like, you yeah. so you got there during the whole capitalist boom phase. Yeah. And at the beginning of that. Yeah, yeah. And all the international companies just like, lining up to rake whatever they can and and of course the people there want to increase their living standard as quick as possible and there's but it's you know it's um so yeah it's a balance and you you hate to see sometimes places I, i've been back several times since and i've been i've walked away sometimes feeling a little bit depressed or well but it's i mean it depends where you I've, go I've and what you actually in the last uh, in the last 10 years there's just been a huge economic boom throughout vietnam and mm. um and certainly actually and it just people are um obviously getting more wealth and uh, and actually it's it, i think it's had a positive effect i think that in between period of going uh of just of going through that that transition um 
it's quite it's been quite challenging but the the endurance sports world as well there's like loads of races propping up like up in the north around yeah, Sa- is it some, Sab- Sabah? yeah, yeah um yeah. is it sapper S- sapper yeah sapper yeah, yeah. yeah there looks like some unbelievable mountain bike racing oh, and stuff yeah. up there yeah yeah and also um oh, there's an incredible hill station um delat in delat uh, yeah, yeah out of out of it's kind of like from the south saigon um like the sort of it's at this thousand meter plateau and it's so it's a little bit cooler and yeah. it's yeah i got some wicked trails and hidden waterfalls and, and there's also some you know there's a, there's a key at least one or two you know organizers doing ultras and yeah ultra trail running races and mount there's a mountain bike event you might have heard of there too i forget the name but yeah. it's been going for a few years they've invited pros come in and compete and yeah yeah so there's yeah there's some definitely some cool stuff but i burma now is kind of my real big passion for just getting out there and exploring new places. It's really Asia's last frontier in so many ways, but it reminds me a lot of Vietnam in 92. And of course it's going to change and, and whatnot, but you know, you hope capitalism can have not just overrun places like this, or can be some kind of balance. And, um, so far Burma's of course, you know, with the recent Rohingya crisis and stuff like that, it's, it's slowed things down. And so it's yeah. not, um, but what a, I'm talking about nice people and oh my gosh, I mean, you know, people who've been under, under a military dictatorship for 60 years and just, uh, it's just, just amazing how, just how friendly and cool and just how safe and how, you know, again, like how little, like so many people have, but they would just wouldn't think twice about, you know, just like lending or giving you anything. It's, it really redefines the meaning of what rich is. And it's yeah. not just about money. It's what, what the food they eat, the colors of their dress, the, the culture, the customs, you know, yeah, like rich yeah, yeah. is so much more than just about money and going to, I've been there eight times last year. Did you yeah. really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just on yeah. personal trips or no, anything well, around? A, co- a combination of different things. I, um, it's, it's, I've been doing a bit of charity work there, trying trying to help, you know, I built a school and a few other things. And um, so, you know, so little in terms of donation can just go so far there. Yeah. And the education side of things has been so, under that 60 years of military dictatorship, um, yeah. was so low on the priority list. I mean, there's like, and there's like government schools now that literally... I've gone into, and these are government-funded schools. And like, I remember one in particular that we've been working with now for a few years, and, and helping them with different things. And I was like, okay, you know, I walk in, you know, through a translator with a principal, and like, what's the, you know, this is, a, you know, this is out in a village area, and what's the number one thing in your list, you know, that you really need? I'm thinking, okay, because we've been there a few times. Is it, you know, we built a water tank there, and we've done a few other it's repairs to the school we painted it did a few other things i'm thinking okay maybe it's furniture or maybe it's you know something else with the water or toilets or and she's like pencils <laughs> you know exams are in two weeks and we don't have enough pencils i'm like what that's crazy <laughs> i said hold on a second i'll be back tomorrow you know took my mountain bike and <laughs> cruised off and came back the next day on my bike with my bag full of pencils. <laughs> it was like, you know, here. So simple, like, but then, yeah. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay, let's talk. What's next? What's second on the list? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it, it's, yeah, Burma. But then also, in um, besides that, it's just, I mean, you know, in terms of getting off the grid and doing yeah. some real full-on explorations, uh, you know, Burma has. I mean, there's place, a lot of places you cannot go still, black zones. Yeah. Um, I mean, big chunks of, of the of area. Region, yeah, and, yeah, and it's it's changing the so quickly, yeah. too, and you can't even, from day to day, you don't even necessarily know, is this place legal or not? And yeah. I've definitely kind of pushed the fringes a bit some places. But, um, 
But there, yeah, I mean, the Chin Hill Tribe, that's over on the border of India. I mean, there's still, there's ladies to facial tattoos and that in their, like their thirties. I mean, yeah, even though they're not supposed to, they, cause they banned it. The government did years ago, but just fascinating, um, hill tribes, the Shan Plateau, what's over in the, you know, on the other side, on the Chinese side. I mean, people don't realize the Shan Plateau is like the size of England. I mean, oh. it's, so it's, I mean, Burma's a good sized country. It's a huge territory. Yeah, I was uh, I was hiking with my son up uh, Bukatima in Singapore the other day, and we got chatting to this family who were she uh, they were from um, uh, from Burma, Myanmar, and she yeah. uh, and she was we we're just having a chat. She said, "There's 150 different kind of ethnicities it's, and tribes. It's, it's such a hugely diverse it's unbelievable, country, isn't unbelievable. It? And it, and the, you know the country is sandwiched in between India and China." You know the two most you know populous nations yeah. on earth, and the economic influence and pressures of, of, of naturally coming from China. India is a bit behind on that, but still they they have their hand in things. And then, um, oh, and then you have you know Northeast India on the other side. You're close to you know Tibet, um, the Andaman Sea, Thailand on the whole Kanchanaburi border. Yeah, um, and, and just the event, the, the scope for adventures there too it's you know i'm i'm in the outdoor industry as a career is you know be, be besides just the athlete team and racing as well as um you know other areas and we're, we're also um delivering some of our you know it's one of our youth camp locations now so i developed Do you take people to yeah we have four locations that we've developed and super exciting because it's, wow. it's total pioneering days there's really no professional you know outdoor operators really doing things on with sort of the you know, safety standards that we yeah that were um that are important for us and um so it's exciting times there to you know to 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 not only you know have some you know bring some bring students there to do some cross-culture exchange some service work but also have a big adventure at the same time yeah um and then locally there's we're you know we've done some stuff with a couple of schools out of yangon which i never expected yeah. um going there and that's that's turned out to actually be a lot more a lot bigger than i than i ever really dreamed and um so that's really interesting because here you have some of these some of these leading couple leading international schools where half of the students actually are locals so these are sons and daughters of whether it be politicians or or military leaders or you know like the you know fluent community that can afford to local Burmese that can send their students to um, to international school and and hopefully these students we can because they're going to be future leaders of the country yeah. you know and even if one of them is it's it's you can really I feel like you really can make a difference because you know we're trying to get these kids inspired about the outdoors get them to realize protecting things is important yeah. it's not just all about you know raping it for the resources and and also doing some service work and you know appreciating the different ethnic groups and so it's super exciting time yeah for, yeah, I, I, yeah i can't i can't get there enough um yeah i still haven't been actually yeah. i was um I, i've been raising uh raising funds for the unhcr for the last few years and um I've got some contacts that have been out there in it's Rakhine's the region where yep. Rakhine, and I've been meaning to go out. I've been trying to go out and visit, but it's just been too difficult. It's just no mm. go at the, mm. at the moment. But I, yeah, I would like to go as a tourist and go and explore and, uh, oh, and yeah. see the see and, the country. And when you go, there. if you go there, you'll probably end up in, in Yangon at some, at some yeah. point. The you know the commercial capital. Uh, 
and where most international flights go into and whatnot. If you go there, you must stop by Bike World. Bike World. It's the coolest little funky guest house. Stay there. It's run by this Australian guy in his 70s who's like a retirement business, and he's married to a local, and he has every Sunday a ride out to the school that that he helped, uh, that he spearheaded to build out in the countryside. And it's just literally like you're, you only go like an hour or so out on, in a vehicle out of Yangon and you feel like you're a thousand kilometers away and yeah. you do this great rolling hill bike ride. A um, mountain biking. Yeah, or, yeah mountain yeah. biking. and But easy stuff, just fun. Yeah. Anybody can do it pretty yeah. much. Um, and then on Friday night, when traffic dies down, he in the city, he does a city ride. It hits, you know, Shwedigan, all these iconic you know, temples and stuff around this. And so the yeah. Friday night ride and the Sunday morning ride. Bike to, world. And he'll, he has the bikes, yeah. everything. So that's very cool. Check, yeah. yeah good, check, check it out. Great recommendation. Um, so, I mean, I can just see your passion for adventure, <laughs> even like 27 years later from that first yeah. trip to Hong Kong. Um, and yeah, that trip to Vietnam seems like it was a pretty seminal moment in, in your life in terms of intrepid, Asia outdoors so for Asia totally where, where yeah. did it kind of go from there in terms of like I mean you're one of the pioneers for the for the adventure racing uh, scene I mean it, the trail running scene had only really properly kicked off in the sort of I suppose 2007 or so yeah. oh, even though tra- like Oxfam trail walker was around so talk to us about how that what was the scene like when you when you first moved back to Hong Kong permanently and and uh and started building it. Yeah, it was, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, in Asia, there really wasn't, there wasn't too much happening. There was the King of the Hills was going on. Keith Noyes was doing a great yeah. job of, oh, a of, of building that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, still around. Um, gosh, there was the Wilson Trail, what that was the, in the Raleigh Mountain Marathon, which is a two day carrier tent and a few things. Yeah. Um, and then there's Trailwalker. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, like the three, I mean, they're, and they were all team races. So you know, Trail Walker course team of four. Yeah, yeah. Wilson Trail was a team of two. Yeah. Um, with a, they had three different. You know, they could do a four hour, eight hour, or twelve hour. I mean, in terms of like winning times, so like mm. you know, uh, three distances. Um, and the King of the Hills was as it is now, but it's a bit more wild. They've had to pull back some of the really fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know that some of the more wild trails he's had a phase out of those courses but still same concept half you know half and full and then the what i got involved with um was trying to bring the sport of adventure racing out here because this is back in ni- uh, late 90s um i'd been involved in you know <clears throat> outdoor sports extreme sports action sports this is all sort of my my passion and i after um I was involved with building Hong Kong's first skateboard park and oh, really? yeah, and a few yeah. other just r- r- random things. Also, mu- you know, event management was kind of my, my background a bit as, as well. Um, music events and back in the day when I, on the ranch where I grew up in Oregon, I converted our barn into a live music venue. Right. Yeah, and every year in the summer, I used to have this called the, the barn party or the barn bash and we'd bring in bands that were touring the West Coast and this is blowout, you know? Very cool. So that little that I know, this is from when I was like 19 or something and when I was, I come back from college and, um, little did I know that, you, you know, event management would sort of end up being, you know, a career I'd been in and out of throughout my life. I guess that was the start of it. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but, um, so just kind of in that vein of things with, with, you know, organizing events, uh, out here and, 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 and different projects. And then I, uh, got involved with, 
basically partnered with the founder of Action Asia magazine, which at the time was sort of really ahead of its head of the game. I mean, they were they founded in 92, I think. And in terms of the growth of all these sports, they were kind of ahead of, you know, it's time, so to speak. But they um, yeah, the magazine founder and I, we partnered uh, with one other guy and we um, to, to basically with the the ideas to, to to launch the first series of or the basically the first adventure race in Hong Kong yeah. with a vision to develop into a regional series so really the Asia's first like international series of adventure racing or adventure yeah. races and at the time and remember this is like the eco challenge was super yeah. hot is on discovery channel so the this sport had just been brought to the masses finally yeah. and so I mean it was on fire it was like the flavor of the whatever you know the era and trail running was just nowhere i mean trail running of course there was very underground very small in terms of just profile you know media weren't covering that you yeah. never i remember years trying to just yeah and i don't think you'd, as a trail runner you know you'd there in now south china does such a good job south china morning post of covering you know the guys online and stuff it's just amazing yeah it's, it's, it's come from just complete black hole to that like where they could care less you know about but even trail you know except for trail walker they get a bit but anyways we yeah so the we basically in 98 um and i'll never forget because it was such a i mean it was the worst possible time to launch a new event. It was the market the just crashed. No, no. It was, oh, sorry, yeah. it's the financial crash. It was yeah, ninety-eight yeah. crash. So yeah. here, here you are going. We're going around, you know, looking for a hundred thousand US in sponsorship money because we want to do and we want to do it right. To, you know, yeah. TV production and um, you know, really proper international event and and uh, oh gosh, I mean, talk about just getting rejected every door you turn. I mean, the market. You know, they just who had extra money to throw around for a new a new a new event in a sport nobody'd heard of in Asia. And we just, you know, we, I, I actually remember sitting, thinking, God, who's spending money and watching the television um, one night and just think, well, let's turn on the Chinese channel and we'll find out, you know, who is, who are the last ones <laughs> holding out and still spending money. And there on the TV was um, Samsung AnyCall, you know, the, they were just launched their new mobile phone. And, and so I said, okay, let's, and they were an Olympic sponsor at the time, of course, um, you know, back then Seoul, I forget what year, but they, this is 88. So they carried on their Olympic sponsorship. But anyways, um, long story short, we were lucky. They, they really, we had a, a charity component too. We were raising money for underprivileged youth through the event and they really yeah. liked that. And they, they gave us the money we needed and we we're off. And the first, uh, the first race was the Samsung action Asia challenge. And that really was the start. You could say of my career in Asia in this outdoor industry space. And we, very quickly, we're able to um, to build it into a regional series, and the key thing there was we, in 2000, got National Geographic Channel on board, and that was just huge. I mean, to get the National Geographic, not only as your media partner, but they were in bed with us on all levels. They were helping, you know, we were pitching sponsors together. We we actually even got the, I mean, at the now I look back and I think I can't believe this happened, but they gave us, I mean, they let us use their name. They put their name on an event that I mean, super, you know, and pretty high risk in the sense of, um, not that we, not that we didn't manage things well, but you know, thing yeah. <laughs> they weren't organizing themselves and here, you know, a new event and to support nobody knows. And, you know, we're racing through gorges and jumping off cliffs and, you know, mountain biking down, and, you know, it was a bit pretty cutting edge yeah. and they were keen to, they were keen to, to attract, uh, or they're keen to, to, um, 
to connect with a younger audience. And that's, so it worked really well. Um, and that, that created the, the, the National Geographic Action Asia Challenge, kind of a mouthful um, series. And so we took it, you know, Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan, around the region. Singapore as well? Did Singapore it? later. Did it yeah. Did, yeah, 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 yeah. Singapore did at least, yeah, they did the, they remember the zip line off the yeah, big, the big um, I was going to say what's that. The fruit, this... What's the fruit? What's the durian building? Yeah. Right, yeah, 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 totally. But I, I was, I was out of it by, by a few years later, I decided, I don't know a long story, but I was, um, I was a little bit burned out for three or four years. And, you know, when we got this, this, you know, series running and, and uh, I really wanted to get into other areas of the outdoor industry, not just events. And that's when I partnered with Stuart Sharpless, who's this incredible individual who's, his background is more facilitation and an instructor and just an incredible technical rigor and um, whitewater specialist. He, he actually, I used to, because I, I was, you know, when I, when I was race director of the races, I would hire Stuart um, as my technical director right. to manage the safety side and all that. So, it was 2002 we partnered and and started what's APA group today Got yeah you. yeah okay so sorry it's kind of yeah a, a I've ramble actually, I've right no not at all I've I've actually um I've raced the Action Asia Challenge a couple of years when when I was um, when I was here um it's actually had it's not been on the last couple so of it, years now yeah, the AFCD it, have kind of clamped down on it a little bit and the AFCD is the agriculture and fishery, fishery. yeah yeah that's um yeah that's definitely part of it. It's also just a reality that, you know, adventure racing, it was the, like I said, it was just, it was, it had such a big buzz around it for that, those, those several years, you know, yeah. um, globally. Right. Yeah. And then Asia, of course, is a little bit behind Europe and the States. So it, here it was still continuing, um, longer with things kind of leveled off a bit in the States and elsewhere. Um, yeah. but then, um, I mean, a few things happened. One is just, definitely more recently last 10 years the boom in ultra trail running has 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 curbed and this is really just from a organizer's point of view if you're if you're a race organizer i mean if you can get you know a thousand people to do your race and all you have to do is organize one discipline yeah you know people so much so much easier and and then then you're you know getting sponsorship and going to them saying hey i'm going to have this many eyeballs or this many people and it's a, it's a no, you know, sponsors always want to, you know, how many participants, you know, et cetera. So it's, it obviously makes it a lot easier to reel on sponsors. The permitting is much, much more equal. The, the risk management, the list goes the on and on. logistics so, and everything. So yeah. people like, you know, Keith Noyes, what he was doing several, he did some great races in China, you know, elsewhere yeah. um, under, under say on Asia. And then um, Action Asia continued after I, after I pulled out, they, um, they continued for a number of years actually, but, but then today, actually the last couple years that, that was the one race that still had kind of, you know, lasted. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the last couple of years it hasn't been organized and it's, it's simple for the, simply for those reasons. It's, it's the it, economics around the economics it. around it. And you need the race organizer, the race director has, it's, it almost has to be just a, a passion project. Yeah. You know, unless you have big tv behind it yeah and tv has you know gone on to other things and it's yeah you know, it's, it's, and, and do you know what i think it could be coming back so i mean adventure racing on uh, the middle of the packer but is my I, I just love the um the team aspect the 
uh, the the multi sport aspect, the logistics, the just uh, it's uh, and just the expedition length of it. I and obviously Action Asia Challenge was just a day a race, one, one day, yeah. Um, but uh, oh, but yeah, they, they brought back Eco Challenge this year. This Bear Grylls is bringing it back. Yeah. Oh, what channels behind it? There is um, I forget which channels behind it's it. It's a direct thing, isn't it? Direct TV thing. I don't think it's yeah. a major broadcaster like. A, but anyways, it it you know I think you're right. I think. Um, all these, I mean, I think all sports, not all, but many go through cycles. I mean, you look yeah. like skateboarding yeah. in the 60s, and then it, you know, it went through these cycles to where it is today, up and down, yeah. in terms of popularity with with youth. Um, and I think, you know, mountain biking's gone through big, huge booms. And um, I, I, uh, I, I think especially when you look at the how the explosion of obstacle racing. Yes, because that's that's crazy, I mean crazy, and that and those are the people you know. You do a few of these obstacle races. I mean, what's the next thing? You yeah. know, it's like get on a get a bike involved, get a get a boat, go longer, yeah, go bigger. I mean, it's, it's it very seems interesting like, you said that because we had a, um, a a lady called Maggie Svetkovic on a couple of uh, a month or so ago, and she's been like just crushing the scene in every in, uh, all, all of the other all of the countries around Asia. Uh, in obstacle racing, obstacle, yeah. uh, so doing Spartan, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I'm just, and she started off uh, like we did um, uh, like adventure a couple of adventure races to begin with and I'm like come on get into the expedition stuff because she would be phenomenal at it but it's just finding females to because like, mm. obviously we need to have a mixed team as well so getting a female because it's, it's been really challenging for I, I know us, yeah. I know one of the uh, top Australian this is a few years ago one of the top Australian uh, female adventure racers switched over. Um, and she jumped, she just like jumped straight into like the world championship of whether it was Spartan or one of these tough mutter, one of the big, you know, one of the big ones and yeah. just obviously crushed it. I think she won. I mean, it was or at least top three and was, um, and I'm pretty sure she was like, you know, one of the one, one or two of the years world champion, well, and, but it was, a tw- but it was 24 hour, okay, uh, yeah, length, yeah. length. So they're doing, they're like going around circuit for 24 hours and of yeah. course her background in endurance sports i mean do, she's do you just, remember her name um, I'm, I'm blanking we'll on it. find out afterwards yeah and put it she's in an amazing she's an amazing individual I mean, yeah really really she's 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 had got come back from cancer she's had she's had hiv for a lot of her life she's wow. an inspiration this lady and here she was like you know and wor- she was, world she class was an expedi- expedition adventure racer and converted and, to ocr yeah and and stage racing she i i competed against the their team multiple occasions and I can remember riding behind her on the mountain bike and just going, "Oh my God, this woman! Her her technical skills are off the charts." Yeah. Um, but she, uh, but yeah, because so, the we've been lucky enough. The biggest stage races, because the whole the expedition thing was huge, right? In the in, in the ninety mid nineties, late nineties, uh, early two thousands, it stayed it stayed around. There still is the world championship, of course, and it's it's still especially in Europe and in the States, um, not in Asia. Expedition racing never has taken hold in Asia. Um, And that's a big part of that is just the barrier to entry to that level of length and and just also needing the female. I mean, it's the number of females that are actually strong paddlers, cyclists, and runners. It's it's the list gets kind of short to go you know who want who want to go like seven days without sleeping properly <laughs> yeah. or yeah I mean, and, and going rough I yeah. mean, it's, so yeah. and it's not any wonder but what what has in asia what interestingly did really 
take off. And a lot, a, a big extent because of the support from the Chinese government was stage racing. Yeah. So that's really your Action Asia type of format. Your one day balls out hard racing, maybe finish time is between four and 10 hours, depending on the length. Um, that, uh, doing that, but doing it multiple days in a row. And then you, but you come back to a hotel, repack your equipment each night yeah. and then get a few hours of sleep and then start again. That format, which is really, that's kind of been, that was been my focus more, my, my racing career. And in China blew up, uh, and it's actually now still, still, still going, but it's, it's I'm not, didn't blow up in terms of like mass participation, but in terms of the biggest events in the world, yeah. because the prize money, they're putting up, you know, hundred to 2000, uh, uh, us dollars per event for the big ones uh with you know prize pool going 10 deep and so yeah, you know the the, yeah. the the pro and, and the pros multi-sport or in this, your multi-day trail mo- races or no, multi-sport so, multi-day no so well in my in my mind this is still adventure racing some like purists might say oh there's there was no some of them had a bit of navigation too yeah. um but usually nav would be less it'd be a marked course usually yeah. In my mind, it's still, you know, an adventure race. But like Kiwis would call that like multi-sport, yeah. perhaps like um, the coast-to-coast type of. Yeah. But it, essentially, mountain biking, paddling, trail running, um, where in one day you're going to do each discipline at least usually two times. Yeah. Uh, six or more legs and just balls out racing fast. I mean, you have all the world champions there and super exciting because it's in our backyard being in Asia. So we would, you know, a few times a year be up in China and, and and also just discovering these places in China, you normally would never, you know, necessarily have, you know, go through and here in a few days, you, you know, 200 or 300 kilometers through, of course, a breakneck speed. So you'd want to come back at a slower pace and (laughs) check it out. But if you see something really insane, which I did many times, I went back and, Yo, I want to go back to that spot and have a you know more of a look around and yeah, because um, they had the Sabre Adventure Challenge, which was going for it's going for like seventeen years or so. So that was like, kind of a mini expedition that, race, yeah. And that was yeah, but that was three uh, day, three day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we did uh, a yeah. friend and I did the last edition. Uh, it would have been twenty. Um, 2017 was the last one they did yeah. and then they've uh, yeah they haven't actually um haven't done it for the last couple of years i mean they're still running tmbt because they're because uh, the they started doing ultra trail and then it's like and it, uh, yeah and it's just easier to organize yeah. and you know the last time we yeah. did it there was only 12 teams so it's all um so it's all 15 teams or something so it's just the economics don't and then they do yeah tmbt or borneo ultra where they get thousands of people and it's just much easier logistically yeah. to organize but still yeah i'd love it if they still still yeah um, and there, there needs to also be better um <clears throat> better collaboration on a global le- level between like for, for example the eco challenge coming up right you, i mean here it is in it's in september i think um i mean yeah, it's exciting PG, you know yeah. it, it's a you know it's equivalent of like a world championship level expedition race but here wulong Wulong has always been the equivalent of like a stage racing world championships is like a month later or a few weeks, I forget, before or after. I mean, how can you have that kind of date clash? Mm. It makes no sense because these are the same athletes at the, at the, at the top end. Not, not everybody would do both, but I mean, in the, at the, the big races in China back in the day, it was Mike Closure, it was Team Nike would be there, it was all the top Kiwis are there. It's the same the same guys that are on the winning expedition racing teams. Yeah. So why you know so there if there could be better collaboration that would really, and if you're a if you're trying to be professional or even if you're just trying you're you know trying to supplement 
whatever other income you have with racing, you need to have a chance to, you know, every time there's a, a bigger race with a bit of prize money, you can't have it all, you know, yeah. in the same the same month or the same. They, they do a pretty good job on the ARWS, the Adventure Race World Series. But that's, go, but, but that's it's one series. Yeah, it's yeah. just one series of races. It doesn't necessarily collaborate with all. And, you know, like God Zone's not part of that in New Zealand. And obviously all of these in China. There was one in China in the Atoll yeah. Mountain, yeah. um, which um, they did a a feature race initially but then last year's one got cancelled unfortunately but um and they gotta they gotta get more prize money on the expedition side to, to yeah. really help the elite side of things you know yeah they, and, that, and that's just really the the race organizers they gotta really put the screws down with tourism authorities with governments with and and get television deals yeah. to, to justify well, I'm, you know. I'm personally hoping that Eco Challenge this year sort of just reignites the fire for adventure racing yeah. and, then, and then gets not just from a participant's level, but also from, you know, from tourism boards and just encourages people to want to welcome them in. Because here in Asia, we've got in Malaysia, they've, they're having um, their first expedition race in October, which will be interesting. Um, that's the end of October. Imagine doing one in Hong Kong. Like, imagine kayaking between islands oh, in Hong Kong there's, and there's, the trails. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. look, if, if you're having trouble yeah. with AFCD with a, or a day race, yeah. I, I can imagine yeah. it would be challenging. But it could just really showcase this amazing city. You you're know? absolutely right. And I yeah. just think, yeah. and especially in this day, social media is a great way to be able to promote these and for people to be able to follow. But you know, if you you can imagine like drone uh, having drones following teams all around, and actually the the level of footage that you could have on these races could just Phenom- be amazing. phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I think yeah. the Eco Challenge this year will yeah. show the potential yeah. in modern technology about how you can actually show these races. So, yeah, absolutely um, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually fascinated. We haven't really talked about your yeah. racing. I mean, so you've been, talked a bit about your race director side, but, and then uh, uh, what kind of training were you doing through all those years? You well, were racing? In the that, well, it's funny. Cause I kind of, um, my, um, I, I kind of went around, you know, bat opposite of what what a lot of a lot of people do, where they be they're racers and then they they love it so much and then they end up becoming race organizers, <laughs> you yeah. know. Or, whereas I was um, I was just super passionate about you know exploration and, and outdoors and and all of that, especially um, you know growing up uh, in Oregon and being surrounded by just amazing you know wilderness and being skiing was a huge influence in my life. I was just, you know from age five to. 18 every weekend on the mountain ski skiing and ski racing and um that also just you know the the outdoor part of it but also this the 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 competition the thrill of competition um and then um i can i can kind of remember too like do you remember, have you ever heard of a of a tv show called survival the fittest it was i i, I was thinking i had to google because i haven't it's been so many years since there's probably some old clips around but that was is i can remember on on tv as a little kid that coming on and it was just like this epic you know hear these guys like you know running across you know raging whitewater rivers and just doing these crazy challenges and just to you know survive this course and it was just so out there i can remember just being wow it's like super super cool what these guys are doing um and uh it was funny and 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 i can remember as a little kid on our ranch uh 
we had our own little we so we organized our own little mini you know uh survival of the fittest <laughs> running through ditches we had like a rope over the chicken coop and like i grew up on a ranch right with 42 anchors or whatever and we we had to jump in the canal and you know swim in the canal and but yeah i just i remember just being so pumped up after that and that it's funny it was then years later that i um that you know i got i got uh, exposed to being, you know, with this whole opportunity to bring the sport to Asia, as we talked about. And before the first race in 98, I was like, well, shit, I better actually do one of these races. I'm race director. <laughs> so when I was back in the States that summer, I did my so first adventure race. You, before you RD'd, you hadn't actually no, raced. No, I was that just... Is, that I, is backward completely. I was just, yeah. yeah, totally. I was just a keen... I mean, what I had done is just some huge adventures. I spent a year in the Himalayas. Like when I came back to Asia after Vietnam and all that, I went back to the States. I, I was on a flight back to Asia within, like I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, within seven days of graduating from university yeah and i went straight I, I by then i had also lived in colorado for a summer and i'd you know go i went to university in california in the silicon valley area so i whenever i go home every summer i finally was like my eyes were just opened as to whoa this is i was lucky where i grew up it's not everywhere it's, you yeah. know like central oregon so i really began to appreciate the mountains even more and just spending summers exploring and then it's been a summer in colorado that was like cause i grew up in the cascade mountains and you know, Colorado was the Rockies. And I was like, you know, what's next? Himalayas. You know, and, and like, did you climb any of the, I, the big I, ones out there? I went straight to the Himalayas with the idea of just being solo adventurer, not wanting to climb Mount, you know, mountaineer. I knew I had, from years of skiing, I always had uh, circulation problems with, I knew I'd get frostbite. Uh, right. My hands, my feet always have been a problem. But, but I was more interested, anyways, in just, not going on like a two month expedition with a big group or whatever. It was more just like solo backpack your whole life in a bag and just go and, you know, climbing mountain passes. And I, I started in Northeast India and worked my way across, uh, Sikkim, just mine, this Himalayan kingdom tucked, uh, between Tibet, uh, Bhutan and Burma. And I was poking my nose around a lot of areas too. When you're solo like that, you can really push the envelope in terms of restricted areas and, got into some, just had some, I mean, I can remember being on the border of India and Nepal, looking down at villages on both sides. And then just, I was supposed to go down and get like a permit and cross by bus, you know, into Sikkim. But I was like, I'm at 12,000 feet on this ridge. I'm like, I gotta keep going, <laughs> you know, and ended up staying like in this yak shed with this young, young boy. And just, yeah, I had this, you know, wild adventure. And of course on that border is the third highest mountain in the world, Kanchenjunga. So ended up, you know, trekking into base camp, you know, at the time you needed a big group to do that and everything. I just went for it like under the full moon and I don't even think I had a headlight. Honestly, I was like, I was that, so <laughs> that out there, no first aid kit. No, you know, I look back at just classic. Uh, and I, I do remember literally trekking out like, um, I mean, going up, I was just getting around so like, like park rangers and, and just kind of lying, saying my group was coming behind me. They were slow, but hiking out, I knew I'd get caught. And these, these guys all made it clear that, you know, if you're by yourself, you're, and I remember I was, I literally trekked out. I waited for the sun to set. I got to base camp, this, you know, epic adventure, slept. And then I waited for the next day for the, um, for nightfall. And I knew it was a full moon. And I trekked out like eight hours under this amazing full moon, <laughs> got to the town with the last the big checkpoint at like the crack of dawn right before. And I was sliding, you know, I just cruised around. Of course, the ranger, nobody woken up yet. It was like five or something and uh, got straight through. And I was like, yeah. And then I, I'm going, there's like a one, 
road village town thinking that I'd, I'd made it. And then all of a sudden I start waking up all the dogs and pretty soon I'd look <laughs> behind me. I'm with a full, like, you know, 20 kg pack, whatever. And I got littered, no exaggeration, like 20 dogs chasing me down the middle of the road. <laughs> this dirt road. So much for going the whole, and all the chickens waking up and, and the whole town, like, you know, just, and I'm just like full sprint with my bag, just going, shit. Like, here I was trying to like slide through the village, you know, like. What kind of fines <laughs> would you get then? I suppose, like, sorry. Could, what kind of fines would you get for not having oh, permits and stuff going it was, through Nepal? It's funny. It would be more, I mean, I did end up getting caught one area and um, the guy was so, be- it was when I came off that ridge and, and, and I got, I hiked into this, uh, into this village, uh, Denton and, um, oh, just wicked. I mean, this is, this is, uh, just to give you a visual, like you're on that ridge line, you're alpine terrain, 13,000 feet view of Kanchenjunga, third highest mountain in the world, just, you know, wildflowers, like, you know, above tree line. Then you hike through like the most intense, mossy rhododendron rhododendrons yeah, yeah and then you then you finish and so that and then you finish in like bamboo and it's tropical i mean so in one day like these these three ecosystems are just like stacked on top of each other like normally you'd need much longer distance to get through that kind of variety so that's this is sikkim right just just mind-blowing but i i ended up i ended up descending off this ridge into this town right at dusk at nightfall finally got into this town this is two weeks prior to the what i was talking about earlier when i yeah. got it got out of there and uh it was the first town off this ridge line and i knew that okay you know you're probably gonna you know you're gonna have at some point here you're gonna have to you know somebody's gonna probably catch you and so i was looking for anybody in this town where i could stay there it was a town that was off limits there's no guest houses there's no this is far remote you know corner of india that hadn't tourists weren't allowed to go without permits and so i was like gosh i, I didn't i didn't have a tent i had a little baby sack but i figured i'd try to see if any locals might take me in and i found a guy one guy spoke a bit of english and he was really nice and friendly and wow cool and next thing i know i, I go to his house and then i realize that he he tells me yeah i'm a local policeman <laughs> and I'm like oh shit local under local policeman yeah but he was super cool and he took me into his home he gave me like the the best bed and like like room of the house and we drank chang you know the local yeah, rice yeah. brew and laughed and had a good meal and it's like oh my god this guy's like he doesn't care like so great and then the next morning i woke up and i go to like the kitchen or whatever and he's like sorry i gotta take you in you know <laughs> <laughs> i gotta tell my boss so he took me in to the the so-called whatever the head guy, and uh, yeah, basically the guy he was in uniform and he was all official and he looked scary and he was gave my passport and he he was just he was just bewildered. He's like, you know, where did this guy? And through translation, you know, where did you come from? Like what? <laughs> like how I could go over land on foot and you know like end up there? And basically, he just said um, he gave me my passport back and he said go to Pimyangzi where the district magistrate will tell you what your punishment is. So basically, like, tell me to go to the main town, you know, which is a two-day bus ride away or whatever. I'm like, sure, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm straight <laughs> Oh, next yeah, bus. I'm going right now. <laughs> <laughs> Grab my, of course, you know, I skipped town when I got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a crazy story. And, that, yeah. and th- yeah, to be Sorry, able, I got, we got sidetracked. No, we're, no. We're, we're, it sort of fits quite nicely, like, to segue nicely. There. So, oh, so this was, this was big adventure stuff. I mean, I ended up, so that whole year, I ended up all the way across and to be honest, this also was part of me realizing I wanted, 
I wanted a, a career in the outdoor adventure related space. You know, I knew I knew that. And I I also was keen on photography and, and writing a bit too and had fantasies of like, oh, I can be a National Geographic photographer or something or, you know, like, yeah. and not having no idea how you'd even get into this. And, and, and so I, and I just, it's just so passionate and curious about not just outdoor adventure, but also just areas that had, you know, I was doing some stupid stuff too. I was young and, and just pushing the envelope with, um, you know, areas that are, you know, war, some war torn areas. So I ended up in Kashmir. Right. And that was the whole other end of the Himalayas, right? And, um, or, you know, beyond, beyond, right? So I ended up traversing through Nepal and ended up around, um, on the Kashmir side. And, and that was in super intense. Uh, they're, they're going through a really intense pocket of, uh, a few years of, of kidnappings and, you know, so much, um, <clears throat> tension between the Indian army and the different militant factions who wanted an independence. Um, and, uh, yeah, I went there and and I happened to be there at a time when um five foreigners were kidnapped, five or six, and it was super high profile because it was a mix. It was a British, an American, a Norwegian, a, like five or six nationalities all with wives and girlfriends. They all got um surrounded in in a in their tents in the middle of the night and basically they separated the men from the women and they took all the men and hiked them straight into the mountains. Um and crazy story and they and they were uh super um adamant on wanting to exchange uh militant hostages that the indian army had in captivity in exchange for these foreigners mm, right and wow. it was a, it was, I mean, there were a lot of kidnappings going on over a few years but this one this one got the most attention because all of a sudden you had so many nationalities so all the embassies all the consulates that were and and you had all the wives and girlfriends who were with them who now had left and obviously went straight to new delhi and we're like pleading with, you know, you got to help release our husbands and boyfriends. And yeah. so then when I, this all happened when I was there. And so I, here I was this young, you know, overly curious and, um, um, naive a little bit in terms of, you know, I was out, you know, just on the, all the journalists out there at the time were hiding in one hotel. didn't want to go outside. You know, I was out walking the streets every day and everywhere you go, you're in somebody's gun scope and dressing kind of sort of the local and just just wanting to get the real story i was living with a local guy and on doll lake and had some you know all kinds of crazy stuff happened but just and really hearing the stories of firsthand of what the reality was of this of this war and the reality was it was like so many conflicts it's business you know there's too many people that are vested in this conflict and this is going back to 87 when at first or not when at first but the more recent wave of conflict there because i mean imagine kashmir went from the number one tourist destination of the whole of india the country to like war zone overnight in 87 i think it was and then i mean there was before that waves of 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 tension and 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 problems and but there's a big there's also big gaps of prosperity Right, and that's where all the houseboats on Doll Lake and some really amazing stuff was discovered and built, and you know, etc. For the tourism industry. So, anyways, you can imagine these people's livelihoods so just crushed. And now today, I mean, what are we? In, I mean, how many years is that? Jesus, it's like yeah. forty years now, or yeah. thirty years, or thirty years. I mean, yeah, yeah. geez, it was years. like so. Um, so yeah, just just to. Um, so, anyways, the Norwegian, the Norwegian got his head cut off with a note stuck in it and said like yeah we're serious give us our, our hostages so i mean this is the whole thing was Whoa. of course international news and um and so i 
really stupidly went up to you know on the news oh nobody can go this ten- there's it was a it was a mountain town that's quite famous Pagom, where the um like a, a one day hike from there where the kidnapping took place and i saw so i was i wanted to go investigate and so i went and i they said oh nobody can go there or whatever but i said well let's see let's is that you know and I, I, I jumped on local buses and i literally got like 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 it was the longest bus ride ever. We got stopped like 10 times at least. Every time taken out by the Indian Army, lined up, people whipped or, you know, that didn't look right or that were, you know, just the amount of that. So much tension with the Army and, and locals. And but for some reason, they, they were, nobody stopped me. I stood in line and, and, and kept going. I ended up getting all the way to that town, jumped off the bus, went and hid in the trees in the forest and was like, okay, because um, it was full of Indian Army. And I, I went there because I knew... I wanted just to see what the re- you know basically cover the war kind of as a you know I guess a so-called journalist and and or wanna be journalist and 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 I I ended up meeting this local guy he took me into his house super nice guy he was a trekking guide and um but it was a little there was this Indian army all over and of course there was supposed to be this massive manhunt going on but it wasn't happening all the Indian army were scared to go hiking up in the mountains yeah. with these these guys who had kid- done the kidnapping were like afghan guerrillas who all they've done is live in the mountains and fight since the afghan war a bit like the americans the mercenaries. fighting the Viet Cong oh, or something oh, it's totally. like good luck I mean, here there, these yeah. like indian army guy from kerala yeah. you know growing up in banana plantations is he gonna go run in the mountains and chase this afghan gorilla i mean no way yeah. so um anyway long story short there was a bomb blast that went off too when i was there a bunch of people died and it was i ended up covering it and had the only camera there and so I, I got kind of caught up in the whole thing, but I was just discovered by the, in, the army there within a day, and they were like, what is this foreigner doing here? They were pissed, and the guy, you know, he was going to make me leave the next morning, um, but this bomb went off, and then it was complicated things, and anyway, so I got really <laughs> sucked into the whole <laughs> the whole thing, and, and ended up, um, but I kind of, this whole thing of wanting to potentially have a career, and you know adventure photography and photojournalism or whatever i i i captured some pretty crazy stuff and then i went straight back to srinagar the capital after and was trying to develop slide film and then came to find out you know nobody could develop slide film of course in this war torn capital you know at that time it was only you know just just because of the situation there and um so my film was worthless in the at that i mean for the because that time that's when I kind of learned about how it all worked as a photographer with Associated Press, and that would be a buyer image. And, yeah. and I started talking to some of the journalists there who were hiding in the hotel, and and it was kind of like, oh, okay, so this is how it works. You sell, you know, you have this amazing photo, but then it gets, they actually own it when you sell it, and you only get, like, at the time, it was so little money for to survive as a career or something. But it kind of opened my eyes, yeah, to that whole. Maybe this isn't quite as glamorous as you are, or can pay the bills. And so most, and most risky as well, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, like you yeah. are literally yeah, dicing yeah. with. But you're in your, that are, yeah, yeah mid twenties, like that. Though you just, you're also kind of like you know, you have this feeling of your invincibility that you, yeah. you know, is not reality. <laughs> your risk profile is slightly yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, now it's like no way. My, and like, of course, my. I don't think my mom still knows what I was doing up there. But yeah. She would have a heart attack. But anyway, I but, mean, I, but but leading back to like all this kind of, you know, career in the outdoor industry, whatever, I ended up back in Hong Kong and then I fell into the, you know, the opportunity to be the race director of this event and and then going to, the, you know, then realizing, well, I better do a race, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went back and did the high tech series, which at the time was the leading American. Um, this is this is this is six months before we're going to organize Hong Kong's first event in '98. I went back and did my first adventure race with a couple of mates from from high school, yeah. and it was the high tech adventure racing series, which at the time was the, the, the sort of the U.S. Uh, most popular and successful one day race uh, series that was traveling around the country, and that was a great great day, just awesome experience. And I, I was I was hooked as a racer too. I knew I'd have my hands full organizing for you know, the, the few years. And, um, so it was only after I stopped organizing races that I, that I sort of, um, um, you know, I saw how much fun my friends were having racing in my, you know, the races I was, I was organizing and I was definitely keen to give it. You must you know, have still been training throughout that period. I, mean, though, right? I, I suppose well, you still got to wreck all these courses I, that yeah. you, when you're setting the routes. I right? was, I was setting the course. I was, yeah. So I would be timing the splits to see, what the lead teams I potentially could do. Mm. And I knew from my splits, I could race hard yeah. and, and, you know, and be right up there. Cause I was seeing what they were winning in. And, and so that was, yeah. So I was yeah. for sure. Like, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. your, your story of going through the Himalaya though, that I mean, you're sitting there wearing your North face t-shirt and North face cap. And obviously the slogan of North face is, <laughs> is never stop exploring. And so it seems like it was such a, uh, you know, it, it's in your formative years back there, but it's still a big part of what you do today. You talk about spending the being out in in Burma eight times in the past year, but I, I'm interested in getting a little about the about the North Face yeah, team yeah, that you yeah. pulled together and yeah, how that yeah. all came about, and uh, and some of the individuals in within yeah, that team. Yeah, so so when in 2002, after sort of my race director career with you know Action Asia and stuff, I ended up. Um, I was mentioning before I partnered with Stuart Sharpless and we started Asia Pacific Adventure and built APA Group, which is, you know, a group of a few companies all related to outdoor adventure. And uh, we, um, in 2005, I guess it was four or five, we, we were, we started, yeah, we started racing a bit and, and we're just keen. We were, you know, also friends and, and, um, and then we, we did, we, you know, expedition racing was still just on fire in Europe. That was when the raid was still around. Yeah. So yeah. the raid was what inspired the eco challenge. Right. Yeah. And so the raid was now in its version of where it had these had these two day races to qualify for a world championship event. Yeah. And the mother of all raids, well, maybe not mother of all, but certainly in my eyes that year, um, was there was going to be what was billed as like the hardest race ever or whatever, uh, in the Alps, basically crossing through Switzerland, Italy, and essentially a lot of what, you know, UTMB would be like one leg of this race, like around Mount Blanc. Yeah. Like that whole region um, and beyond um, was the world championship for the raid that year. And then you had these three or four qualifiers around different parts of the world. And so we jumped in a couple of those, one in Australia, two-day race, and I and did enough to prove our merit to, to be like a, maybe the, I guess the only team from Asia and it was a team of four. We had to pull a woman in off the internet from like an ex army lady from the U S yeah. <laughs> cause there's no women in Asia then. Well, maybe the, I mean, it was at least hard to find somebody. And so we, uh, Stuart, me and a, a Frenchman named Philippe. Philippe was one of the first champions of the action Asia series. He was winning all the early What's races. Philippe Guillaume, okay. French, short French guy, yeah. bald head. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, good friend. He, yeah. 
so the three of us, yeah, recruit this woman off the internet, and we <laughs> we were, and we we made it to the yeah to Europe, and we just that was just that blew our minds. I mean, it was seven days, you know, like I think four, uh, ten or maybe twelve, maybe twelve or fourteen hours sleep in those seven days, and we finished it. Which was just, I remember actually sitting there in the race briefing with Ian Adamson, who at the time was the current world champion, and just, and just looking at the profile. They had, they had a, it was, I'll never forget, it was like a, it was, what was it? It was like 20, um, essentially like close to 30,000 meters of elevation. Yeah, just brutal. I mean, so it was ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, and I must say, during the race, there were, it got to a point where like, how many passes in the Alps do I need to climb to like prove that I'm, tough or capable or you know it's too much too much yeah but i mean hundred thousand feet or something and you know whatever is or over it was just ridiculous so we but we finished it and um barely and had some epic moments we're lucky had had some uh first day teammate got sick and got through that and had a hypothermic episode we got through that and but I had this grand adventure and, and it was like, that was, and that was at the time we managed, we were actually got a bit of sponsorship from Solomon and it's funny looking at Solomon now, they're, you know, doing a lot out here yeah. uh, globally, you know, but a lot out here in Asia is, you know, obviously now. And, um, back then there was like one guy covering all of Asia for Solomon. It was ridiculous. And we're like trying to work with him and he was really supportive, but I mean, how much, how big was his budget? Right. Yeah. And so, um, we were, yeah, we came back after that race and we were like, gosh, we, this is, let's, what can we do to really help grow, grow opportunities for, um, athletes out here? Cause we know there's, a, we know there's Asians out here, especially locals. We wanted, we didn't want it to be just like an expat thing. It's like, mm-hmm. let's, the priority is local Asians, opportunities we can give them, help them with sponsorship, help them, you know, I've been with a, my background in event management, I knew how to talk to sponsors. I knew about media, television. I knew how, I know how it all works, how to, how to do the pitch, how to, you know, um, and yeah. And so we basically went, um, to North Face with at the time where, you know, they, they made a lot more sense too. their product line was more in line with what we needed to use. And they great brand. I'd grown up with using, I was very familiar with their, with, with their products as well. And, and they were and starting. They were starting to make trail shoes as well, and and so we went to them with a proposal, and they were they were quite interested. This is a, you know went to them on a, glo- a global office level, and they were keen to look at it. And um, at the time, the global Asia global office was in Hong Kong, which was 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 convenient. And but they were a bit slow on kind of making a decision and whatever. And what we, year was this? this they, so this, maybe two thousand five six. Okay, because yeah. it was around two thousand and eight or nine that they started the ultra running series so you went the Even later. north face 100 yeah. I think it was, or maybe 2010 later, later okay. yeah yeah later because i yeah because we actually i pitched that idea with keith like years earlier or around i don't know maybe around eight or nine and then yeah. then later they kind of finally came around and, and and keith ran with it um yeah uh but um yeah, so we, so yeah, we went, the, we, and, and that's when also Stone, Stone was just starting to do some trail running, yeah. and such a nice young kid who's like so humble and just so passionate, and I could just, gosh, I wanted to give him, I could just see his potential. He, already, he's just killing it, you know, in local races, and and so he was one of our first members. It was basically me, Stone, Stewart, um, we had a Singaporean. Actually, she was quite unique. She she was a bit more, a little bit more of a roadie though, but. So their technical skills were a bit limited, but great, 
great athlete, uh, Esther Tan. She was the first female underwater explosive expert in the Singapore Navy. Oh, wow. So tough chick. And and she was, she was real into like ultras. I mean, like, uh, triathlon and stuff and doing that, you know, road stuff. And then she, she, so she was our first woman. And then who else do we have? Um, we had a a later, that was kind of the initial core. And then we, you know, you know, built from there with more, with more and more Asians. But I, but the finished story of North Face, I, the next kind of big race in the calendar was in China. Keith Noyes is organizing, uh, one of his series. Actually, North Face was the the lead sponsor, the title sponsor. Um, so the North Face exploration race or whatever, but so we showed up and I'm like, okay, like we should be wearing your logos for this race, you know, like, and it was a team of two and, um, and they, yeah, we're interested that, you know, we need more time. Okay. Okay. So we went there and we, Stuart and I just like, you know, just blew it, blew through it and with our big Solomon logos across our chest and, you know, took out the race on the podium, <laughs> you know, ruined all their photos <laughs> at, the, at the prize giving ceremony. <laughs> so, so it was a North Face oh, sponsored yeah. race. Like, so here, this is when you were pitching yeah, for the North Face totally. adventure. So here, you know, big billboard North Face behind us on the podium stage. And here we are, these giant Solomon logos. <laughs> <laughs> How soon after that did they sign oh, it was like, up? Oh, it was like days later, you know. <laughs> 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 what was that race? And so it was oh, like, was the, I, I think it was the... the uh, North Face Exploration Series or something. Okay. Keith was doing a bunch, a, ser- a few different rates in Taiwan and China. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it would have been the, the one of the only things in mainland China going on. Yeah. So it was high, you know, high profile, a lot of media, and and um, yeah, yeah. he did, yeah, he did several uh, around. Uh, and so that was, yeah, it's pretty classic, right? And, and then the team's then, involved now, though, right? So, so you've got y- some. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that kind of started from there. The North Face really got behind it. They, they, because we didn't just need, you know, we weren't just talking product and stuff. We needed a significant amount of cash to really kick this off properly. We wanted to take Stone to the World Championships in Scotland that next year and the Singaporean uh, Esther Tan that I mentioned. And we wanted to do a bunch of other stuff too, just trail running and, and everything. And, and, um, and then we built the team from there. We got uh, uh, Wei Biao was one of the Ch- China's leading adventure racers. He got him on the team. It's funny on that podium that that year of that race of Keith Noises, Stuart and I are in the middle. Stone is with his Chinese trailwalker teammate. Yeah, on, I think they they were second, second or third. I can't remember. And then the other side is Piers, who is a phenomenal mountain biker you know slash he became an incredible adventure racer too he australian who was based in beijing or shanghai at the time and we all ended up on the team right together so pierre's was one of our early members as well so i raced in wulong in china many years with both stone and pierre's and yeah but it's funny look at the old photo i wish i should have brought it (laughs) that's amazing and um yeah yeah and so how did the team expand um so we just so we took it from there and the idea was to again get more more local asians uh, involved and just more those that we saw potential that might find it um you know again i I didn't realize they had the potential that they did i mean like jay's a perfect example of that from thailand i mean i met him on christmas holiday where I just, I was there by mountain bike and my wife's like, I'm going to go do, you know, I wanted to do a yoga class or do some yoga. I was like, well, I'm going to go mountain bike. Let's meet in the afternoon. And I went to the local, the only like the main mountain biking guiding company. Where in Thailand? So Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai, yeah. And there in the, I'm looking like, I got to find the most fit guy I can see. And I see Jay in the corner, like just fixing a chain on a bike and 
you know, and I'm like, this, he just shredded, you know, just super ripped. I'm like, but he's like in cut off jeans and like, you know, tank top. And I'm like, cool, let's go out. And so we, he takes me out. And I said, I'll just, I'm just going to hire you. I don't want to go to the group, just you and me. Let's, let's, you know, let's show me the best stuff in Chiang Mai. Like, yeah. I want to go cross country riding, you know. And so we took, it's kind of a downhill scene there. So we took a Jeep to the top of the Doisa Tip, the mountain. And then we set off from there because we had, we rode up with a group, but they yeah. were going to do our own thing. Yeah. And then um, I'll never forget. So here I am behind Jay, follow him off this first downhill, and it's on it's on road to get to trail. And the first thing he does is just throw this wheelie down, like here riding this you know flying downhill, riding a wheelie. I'm right behind him, just going, <laughs> oh my god, up. this guy has some skill. <laughs> Let's see what he can do uphill, you know, like. And then the first uphill, he's just like crushing it, you know. I'm just like. God, have you ever raced before? He's like, no, not really. I, you know, imagine he's in cut off jeans. He's in, you know, but he's, you know, he's obviously, a, you know, it's super. Spends you know, his he, life he's, up and down. Oh, the mountain, and he's yeah. got the pat, and he just loves the bike. It's just yeah. you could see it in his eyes. It wasn't, you know, he's he's one of the first guides in Chiang Mai, yeah. and he still like he still does it today part time. Yeah. Um, but he. Yeah, I just love the bike. I see the passion, and I'm like, I could just, I'm like, dude, can you run? Like, after after the whole day, he just kicks my ass, and <laughs> I'm on this heavy like rental too, but it wouldn't have mattered. He would have kicked my ass anyways, and I'm like, man, have you you know, I told him about our team a bit, and 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 uh, I said, and I was thinking not just because we also you know mountain bike racing's you know was especially back then before Ultra Trail blew up so much that was we were doing a lot more mountain bike racing as well and um pure not venture not just adventure race but mountain bike specific events and so i thought oh he's thinking obviously he'd be key for that and but i also was thinking gosh that is adventure racer this guy must be tough and he's like he's like part karen hill tribe he's got that shredded just that tribal like he gonna what's his surname jay oh gosh don't don't make me we will put in the show notes but uh, yeah yeah. super long and complicated i'm embarrassed but he's just known as jay right yes uh yeah super jay yeah super jay (laughs) or quadzilla (laughs) (laughs) but uh he he um and could he run as well so that's i'm like dude can you run he's like well i actually my first sport was muay thai so I'm thinking, oh, okay, here we go. This guy, you know, used to run the train for Muay Thai kickboxing. And I'm thinking, oh, he must be tough as nails mentally. I yeah. mean, you know, that was his first sport. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he's got scars all over him and stuff. I'm like, Taking oh. leg kicks oh, all the way. Totally. Take some pain. Oh, I just like, geez. So I was like, Jay, okay. So I said, tomorrow morning, let's meet. You know, we're going to go for like a 10K run. And he hadn't been training, fair enough. But I, but I also kind of had to like, like my pride is a bit hurt from getting my ass kicked in the bike. So I, I wound it up on the run and, you know, <laughs> he, uh, but he, you know, he held on for most of it. And I could think, Oh, this guy, he hasn't been doing any running lately and he still got, you know, and so it's like literally within that year, got his passport, his first plane ticket. He brought him, brought him to Singapore. We, uh, we actually won the old, remember the Singapore, the old, um, team of two enduro, it was a great race through the night. It was, they, they, they stopped doing it, but it was this really cool, uh, in, um, the area that was the dump that now it was a landfill campings, right. Or, okay. A cool trail network. That's not there anymore because they, they're just condos or something now. But, um, there was a great event that was, that was, uh, a relay team Mm -hmm. of two and use like six hour, I forget endurance mountain bike event and oh gosh having him as a teammate was just like and the two of you yeah you like, so we, we crushed it and and and, and then then we t- took him to china and on our our wulong team and then 
<clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, then the rest is history. Jay yeah. went on. I took him to the States twice. He was in all mountain, uh, world championship mountain bikes in Downeyville, California. This is where you got to be strong uphill and crazy downhill, like yeah. proper downhill. And Jay, oh, he did phenomenal. I mean, he had some, um, he had some bad luck with mechanicals on the downhill both years. But it sounds he, like he's a mechanic as well. He, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if your bike screws up, but yeah. But he was top 10 in the cross, in the cross country stage, wow. top 10 against all these like, you know, just incredible mountain bikers. And so, and then it was like, because ultra has blown up so much it's like, Jay, you know, if you really to, to really, I mean, the reality is if you want to kind of take this as far as you can as an athlete, you should really look, you know, looking at mountain running more and, it was funny because I remember him supporting us in Trailwalker one year, and he hadn't really been doing any that, this kind of longer ultra stuff. And oh my god, he was carrying like our bags because Trailwalker, Trailwalker, you can have support team carry yeah. stuff, and he's just like with us for 50k or the 100k or something, carrying bags. I'm like, this guy is, yeah, he's this, got it. yeah. This you got to think about changing your focus maybe. And so the last few years, Chiang Mai is a great place to oh, live to be able to train for to be running, uh, and, trail and, running. And he now he showed his first world tour event, Hong Kong hundred, seventh place. There you I go. mean, boom. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a chance unbelievable. meeting, right? Cre- just incredible. going into a bike shop and saying, I yeah. want to ride with incredible. that dude. Shows up to UTMF last year. This year he had some bad luck things, but uh, two years ago, first first hundred miler shows up, top guy in Asia, beats all the Japanese, fifth place overall. World Crazy. world tour. Like that was really his total I mean Hong Kong Hunter was his coming out party, but that was his like world stage, you know. Yeah. And so oh, he's amazing. and the, yeah, so that's and Stingray. And then Stingray's come on the scene the last oh, couple of years, right? Stingray's even a more. I mean, they're another amazing story. The short version is, you know, he's he grew up in a small village in a, uh, Panay Island, the Philippines, and he, you know, his mom died when he was fourteen. His dad was a like he is in his words a drunkard, who basically left the boys to him and his brothers to kind of been for themselves and he found he was rejected by the army three times um so imagine this guy for, this young guy, for, for just not being good enough whatever it was and he's really small so i, I mean i've had people tell me that probably it's because size yeah um but also i mean they do different tests and stuff whatever reason didn't you know but he's but he but in each of those attempts the running section he's like Oh, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. And so he joined his first like local 5K, he won that, joined a 10K, won that, joined a marathon, was like, you know, did well, won his first 50K, and then I I came across him and was like, dude, like how did you come across dude, him? I some 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 locals like crowdfunded him to come to his to his first race outside of Thailand. I raced out of, so, I'm okay, sorry, sorry, so out, out of Philippines, out of yeah. Philippines and it was the North Face 50 in Thailand. Okay. And I was there with David, our, our Malaysian athlete, and yeah. and David Sampa. Yeah, yeah, and, and off. I mean, here at the race in the dark, I see this little guy, this little shadow off the front. I wasn't, I was in decent form. I mean, though my old age, I think I ran like a four, I don't know four twenty something fifty k, and it's not super hilly, but you know, I don't know, it was enough. But this guy, I mean, he just crushed it. I think he was like four hours or something, and and he went off the front. Like, and he just won a 50, like a week earlier in the Philippines. And I just, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy, he, guy he needs an opportunity. I literally, we hadn't signed anybody for a few years and I was, and just hearing a story and here, cause it's not, you know, and, and just, yeah. and having feeling like he's an honest and he's a, cause it's not just about, I mean, it's not just about signing strong athletes. It's definitely about, you know, those that obviously can, 
can, you know, that maybe need the opportunity a bit more. But, but their but, story can but, inspire but, others. Yeah, their story can inspire others. And then also, like, you know, integrity. And I mean, you know, some of that you find out later. I mean, we like, we, I, I signed like the, had the, the, um, the number one trail runner from China was on our team for a period. Yan Yan Cao. He's one. He's won the North Face race here a few years ago. One of the first mainlanders. He was one of the first mainlanders to break out internationally, you could say. And um, but before he broke out, we brought him. You know, I I we brought him, and he didn't even know how to run on trails. With so Stone, you know, was his trained him. He did Wilson. He won Wilson Trail with Stone. He was on my trail walker team with Stone, and his just a, he was on our team not even probably a year or less and and he's just his true colors came out he was just in it for short-term gain care less about the team just for himself what could he get out of it he actually pulled the super lame stunt of trying to basically blackmail us for money before they're like like a couple days before Trailwalker, making up some story about how he needed this you know pay off his teacher or something to to leave china and we're just like come on man you know and it was ridiculous and it wasn't just me this, this is chinese we're talking to him that it was just the opinions of my you know my chinese teammates and stuff as well yeah and and um so literally he came he he, he ended up coming and we did trail walker that year but literally it was like at the end of the race at the airport i said open your bag give me your give me your our kit give me your team uniforms sorry man this is not what's about it's like <laughs> Even in the race, did you? We there was there because uh, trail walk is so much about oh, the sort of solid. I had a still. We team. still. Yeah, I mean, he he held on. I mean, he didn't. He he held on and, and had a you know okay race. We, um, but it was just yeah, that team energy wasn't there. Yeah, you know from you from, know. from his side. But it was wasn't about. He still. I mean, he's he's an incredibly strong runner. But it was just more about he's just not honest mm. you know and i and he was young still and hopefully he did change he's gone on to do some big stuff and and i don't i don't know who he's sponsored by now and i um but he was with north face in china for a, a, a time but i um and he'd done some other stuff too was signing some things behind our back and with other sponsors and i just said dude this is this is an opportunity but this is more than about just making a little bit of short-term a short-term buck or whatever and and you know it's about integrity and te- being a part of a team and i said yeah. give me your jerseys i really i wish you the both the best i hope you learn from this but you're not you're not right for our you know yeah. i i that really resonates with me i think even in the business world you always say like sometimes you gotta you've got you've got to fire your most talented employee like if they're if they are not right for the mm. team if it's not mm. about if it's not about the team and they don't put the team first, if it's all about the individual, then it's just not going to work out. Um, but you've got, totally. I mean, you've expanded the team amazingly. There's Wong Ho Chung as well has had a phenomenal year he, with the four deserts. Yeah. Isn't he? And he, I mean, I mean, you know, we, Such we, a great guy we've, seems as uh, well. and we've, you know, we've done our best to help him along and stuff, but the reality is too, you know, guys like Chung, they, you know, give credit to themselves. Those guys have, it's about seizing the opportunity. You know, we've, we've helped with some certain things. And with Jay as well, I mean, you know, the commitment it takes to get to that level in any endurance sport. You have to have not just the passion, but you got to have some serious discipline. you got to have the just big drive. It's not like this is only cash incentives or something in this. These are niche sports. You know, it's hard, right? Yeah. And you got to really have that passion and that drive and, and put in the time. And Chung is just unbelievable, driven, motivated person. I mean, this guy... I mean, off the charts, like he'll, you know, he'll run laps around the fire station out in 
you know, in he work Lanca- at it? Yeah, he's so a fire- both him he's, and Stone he's, he's, are firemen. So, well, Stone's actually an ambulance man. So he oh, okay, and he's yeah. a motorcycle ambulance man now. Yeah, yeah. So okay. he's, it's which is a challenge for him because he's got to sit on a motorbike a lot of the day, and it's not a best way to recover yeah. from yeah, <laughs> running. Yeah. So he, so he's like first guy in the scene when there's accidents and stuff. Chung is a proper fireman, but he's lucky. He's now posted at the airport. There yeah, hasn't been a fire it. there for like decades <laughs> so he gets some good downtime recovery and he could probably and, go and run up lantau but, peak quickly as well, well on his oh, lunch break <laughs> well no he can't leave though oh, when okay. he's there so but yeah. but but like when i remember when he was training for the four deserts he um he, you know like all these all his colleagues about be playing volleyball during their their sport time and he's like running laps around the fire station <laughs> you know like i forget how many he did one time but it was just mental yeah like, you're like <laughs> and um i suppose just to, uh, to close out on uh, on the team yeah, i'd yeah. like to yeah m- mention uh so um Saman, who's um the the thai it was part of the thai army but he was there one of the guys that was um trying to save the young boys stuck in the cave he mm. how did he come to to be in the team and i know it's it's almost an anno- a, a year to the day that yeah, he passed away yeah right? yeah he you know saman was one of these guys that was just such a such a special character in not just um you know on our team but just in life and just with his whole circle the whole endurance community in thailand was such a kind of a linchpin and and people just you know whether it was road biking triathlon which was his actually his first disciplines that he excelled at yeah. and then he got into adventure racing he joined our team because he at the time what you could say was the best the t- number one adventure racer and i went head to head with him in one of the river Kwai races and it was like yeah. he came up behind me i remember during the race and it was like who is this guy and he has a big smile on his face and like i'm like you know heaving on the bike and and uh luckily they they had a mechanical or something we ended up you know he didn't he didn't beat us that day but he you know he classic guy just a uh, this big quirky laugh you know you know so every start line if he he was in the start line you knew saman was there he was you know where jay is very reserved very like you know very tie in the sense of just quiet and like you know or saman's just like boisterous and outgoing and and um but yeah, so just such a, such a, I mean, I'll never like, I'll never forget like how many guys, you know, he'll do like, you know, like a 50 K ultra or something. Then across the line, he'll do like, you know, 50 pushups. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? You know, like, so funny, like so funny. And he'd often just race out of his skin. You know, his, his heart was, I've said this before, but you know, stronger than his legs or, you know, you'd blow up in races and just cause he'd go so hard off the gun and. Uh, like so funny and in hong kong he supported us a few times and Trailwalker came out here and classic saman one year he he um he was so excited about his first time in hong kong and he he was just gonna do like one or two sections of like the beginning of Trailwalker support and he just was like typical saman so enthusiastic he just kept going kept going kept going like saman you're you know the, the vehicle's there for you to jump in and you know take a break Kept going with us, kept going with us. And of course, eventually, he's not going to last. I mean, he's carrying stuff the whole way. He lives in Bangkok. He's not like training on stairs. And, you know, finally, like Needle Hill, we lose him. And, but of course, it's getting dark then. He has no headlight. He doesn't speak English. He's in a foreign city. He's got no map. <laughs> Classic Saman. And Needle Hill, you are in the oh, middle of nowhere. And we're like, we're, well. we're like, where's Saman? It's now pitch black dark. We're like, oh my shit. And of course, we can't, we're in the middle of the race. We can't like, you know, it's like, 
but you just know he'll figure it out. I mean, he's a yeah. Navy Seal, ex Navy SEAL. Yeah, SEAL guy's so, tough yeah. as nails. Like he, here he was. He ended up, you know, of course, following some other team and then getting some food, you know, bumming some food off the checkpoints and yeah. makes it like ends up in. You know, I think a policeman or somebody gave him a some money for a bus to, and he shows up at the finish. You know, or <laughs> there, like Simon, you're alive. <laughs> you know. But, oh well, yeah, it sounded like such an amazing guy, and obviously cool, so yeah. selfless and um, yeah, incredible. Uh, and he he would have been the first guy if you were to ask anybody who wants to go and help these kids in the cave. He would have been, just, I guarantee you, the first guy hold up his hand and just run in there and wanting to help. He's that kind of yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you guys think about him a lot when you're racing as well. I'm sure he's sort of he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. And then when we were in, you know, last year at the Expedition World Championships in Reunion, it was, you know, Jay carried around his photo the whole race. And would he have been racing pack. with you? I mean, no. Day, but, but Jay Jay told me during that race that he had he had told him in his. That it was always his dream to do one expedition world championship, yeah. which I didn't actually realize until you know Jay mentioned it in that race. So Jay had us. <clears throat> that was kind of his moment, you know. Yeah. Carried his photo around, and and it was, yeah. And there was a lot of there was a Japanese film crew that kind of got into the story, and we're talking to Jay a lot about you know. And yeah. it's not. I really. It's great to celebrate Simon, his life, and what he did. I don't, I don't have any problem talking about it and stuff because yeah. he's, you know, he's an amazing guy. He should be. Should you be know. celebrated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and what a you know, and he, he he and he died the ultimate sacrifice, you know, helping others. It's like, yeah, amazing. And that's the thing; it's just got to be consistently remembered, right? I think it's the yeah. most important thing. Um, and so, yeah. what's up? What's up next with the uh, the North Face Adventure Racing well, team? What's in the diary for so, the guys? You know, the big thing this year is uh, I'm going to take four of our members, um, me and a and a, a few other. Uh, you know, we'll have a hopefully a significant, a fairly significant support team, as well as a film crew, um, to the UTMB and CCC. Yeah. So we've, you know, before in our team we've had one like Stone's gone several yeah. years by himself, Chung's gone once. We've never really done it as a team and kind of properly. You know, poor Stone. Stone's in so well many years, and he was on his own out there and limited support. And I mean, I mean, amazing. He was yeah. top twenty several years, and um, but it's great we it's kind of like the the focus of the year to build up to this yep. you can say and so we're taking and and it's just so it's just kind of a nice timing thing because you have david uh is the number one ranked in malaysia right now uh, stingray the philippines jay thailand chong hong kong yeah. so the four number ones and, and they're, they're all racing they're in their respective countries we're taking all four of them yeah so the four of them and and just UTMB and Triple C. So three of them will do the do the hundred miler, the UTMB. Yeah. Um, and that, that's going to be Jay Chung and David. Yeah. And then Stingray will do the CCC. So yeah. Stingray's still young in his career. I think it's you know, and and the CCC's become so big in its own right, yeah. so competitive. It'll be nice to have, you know. Racers and in it's both. A slightly okay. less competitive field as well. Would you say? I, mean, I don't I suppose it's still not, up there. Yeah, I would not. I would say no. But yeah. in terms of how deep, maybe it's less deep competitive. But yeah. at the top end, I mean, you look at who the last few years who's winning it in their times. I mean, it's off the charts. Maybe the uh, maybe the some of the other races are a bit. You know, not quite as competitive. Yeah. Um, Are you expecting Stingray to, um, to be in the top 10? You know, there? we got a, some great support system. Um, you know, Andy from Mile uh, 27s yeah. 
It's kind of Does our. Does he coach the whole team? He's he's like a he's more like a coach consultant. So as yeah. we need him for yeah. different athletes, we we pull him in and 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 so I mean it was a few of us you know have enough we Stone especially myself and you know Chung Jay everybody's a lot of experience now within the team to help each other help ourselves but. For sure, whenever we need a second opinion, Andy's our guy to, yep. to bounce stuff off. Um, Stingray in particular, though, he's he's definitely doing more than anybody hands-on program and monitoring things. And so that's really helpful, and, yeah. and it'll be exciting. Exciting. You know, I want these guys just to – I mean, the thing is, you know, our team, we've been lucky enough. It's been, whatever, 15 years, whatever now. It's – it's um, we've had enough success, I think, where there's not a lot of pressure that we have you know what i mean like like it's not like even racing you know it's 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 like stone this year you know he he needed some time off he didn't race much at all last year yeah no problem you know our you know sponsors are very supportive you know i mean the north base has been just great over the years champion systems uh, they uh champion system they've um you know global leader and custom apparel they make our, our our team uniform um they've just they've also been there from the very beginning yeah um and then of course uh you know other other sponsors as well just <clears throat> so it's yeah, yeah it's it's a, we're yeah. gonna and we're gonna do it properly we're gonna we're gonna have a house uh as a mountain chalet for two weeks yeah you know, and you can fully support them during the race well, as well at cps yeah. but and we, we still got a lot of details to work out with the best way to do that and how we'll yeah. see how many people we have in the end that are going to be there but we're going to have families there yeah. wives we're going to have some chungs bringing his kids amazing it'll be cool yeah, yeah i'm really excited so it'll be you know much more than just a you need like, to document throughout that actually. yeah it yeah, should be because yeah because yeah, i mean this within that this has been a big part of the thing the team too i think from the beginning is is it's not just about race experience it's the life experience for all for everybody yeah. and the, you know what you can get out of that and um and and where you can take that in whether in whatever career because trail running is for everybody is is you know only one injury away from being your last race or you know and i mean stone and 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 chung obviously is also now and it has had a hell of a long you know long career and done but it's you know and that's where we have to be with our, stone and i in particular have made a lot of mistakes over the years and trying to share the younger guys like not to burn out or too too early or do too much or just how you manage your injuries. I mean, geez, like yeah. how you then how niggles can just blow up and become, you know, become huge. Yeah, ruin the whole season. Yeah. You know. So we are we work closely with the the needle man. He's called here, Alan. Yeah. Alan. Uh, Alan Chu. Yeah. What's, yeah. Chu. Yeah. Alan Chu. Yeah, yeah. He's come up quite a bit. On he's the podcast he helped, You know, he's, and it's not for every injury or whatever, yeah. but for certain things, wow, super super helpful in yeah. in accelerating the healing process, breaking up scar tissue, dealing with extremely tight areas. Um, but many other things, you know, besides that are obviously, you know, and yeah. Um, what other yeah. injury prevention stuff do you do for the team? Like any, uh, any massages or stretching me, regimes uh, or what's... for me? Well, yeah, yeah. For, I mean, for me, I mean, I've been like for as long as I can remember now, I, I have a, like once a week, a lady comes to the house and massage a couple hours. And that's for me personally, that's been critical for, yeah. especially when I'm, I mean, and on training and stuff just to accelerate recovery um you know obviously there's niggles to help work out um yeah. and in, in some cases i mean like it's amazing i mean now i couldn't do this at my age but like when i was my first trail walker i did i mean i literally i had, i was the alternate yeah. i got pulled in with like three weeks notice 
I'd been, I'd been adventure racing, but I mean, we, I was doing like two or three, you know, two hour, I was, I was doing stage racing. I wasn't at all training for a long ultra and I literally had three long runs to play with before trail walk. And here my team was like, you know, was stone, Yan Yan Cal, the mainland China, China guy I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And, and the top runner at the time from Tai from Taiwan, it was later with Kawaraki from Japan. Kawaraki, yeah. Yes, this yeah. was the, that first year. Right. And yeah. that I did it. And, um, but what, what saved me for sure was those three long runs I did. I did like a four hour, a six hour, and a four hour, and trying to get some other runs in during the week. But I mean, come on, like you're the window <laughs> to, get, yeah. to get ready. But I went straight from the trail, just straight to the massage table, and just, you know, working everything out to allow you then have a chance to run that week. And, yeah. but yeah, we ran like, I don't know, a 12 or 13 hour, I'll forget what it was. We were third place. Yeah. With with some problems, our Taiwanese guy had a bit some issue. I mean, you know, you're always somebody has stomach intra- issues or, or something. Yeah, some, tra- in, yeah, leg injury. Yeah, trail walker. Yeah, um, awesome. Well, look, let's uh, just a few sort of closing questions for you. Then. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, yeah, it's been amazing hearing hearing your story and the story of the of the team. But um, yeah, I mean, what's your what's the most inspirational book or? Uh, or, or even like yeah or who has been a biggest inspiration to you like throughout your a few you know it's been it's, it's if, there's been a, there's been many for sure i think from a race director kind of side of things and all that mark burnett was of course you know the founder of the eco challenge i yeah. mean just i he, he was actually came through hong kong in 98 we had lunch together and just seeing the seeing the balls he had on some of the things the way he handled the eco challenge and the challenge the over things he had to overcome just to make that event happen is yeah. like really quite inspiring um not inspired by what he with the apprentice and uh donald trump <laughs> did he do the was he- oh my gosh he, yeah mark burnett went on to like you know survivor he, oh of course so yeah, eco, yeah, yeah. eco challenge a lot you know first, adventure was- racing in some you could say was the in some ways the 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 founder the founding of modern reality television. So we can blame him for Donald you can Trump blame being him president. For, I mean, of course, it's not <laughs> not only him, but you know, of course, he made him more famous. And, yeah, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but he, yeah, but with the what Has he, he got a book or anything? Or oh, I'm sure he, he, yeah, mu- he yeah, must. He yeah. must. Yeah, he must. Um, and then racing wise, we were lucky enough. To, you know, in, in 2001, 2002, we brought out the world champions for expedition racing, uh, Ian Adamson and John Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought them out to Hong Kong a couple of times, Singapore. We brought them one time to run uh, basically workshops. Yeah. Um, Are they Kiwis? Uh, no. John's a Kiwi, yeah. and uh, Ian is from Australia, but lives in the states now. Great, so yeah. immigrated. Um, but just yeah, I mean, being around being around these guys that they were the current world champions and just their their skill set and 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 it gives you a bit of confidence when you go out and ride a bike with them or or do stuff with them and and you think you know you can keep up or whatever you you know you're okay. Well, let's you know. You can rub shoulders, you, with yeah, them, yeah, a little bit, and then Mike, you know, guys I raced against in the, of course, in the China when the Wulong, the stage adventure race world. I mean, I was battling against Richard Usher, Mike Closure. I mean, you guys are, you know, legends in 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 the sport. Kind of a little bit younger generation from the Ians and Johns, and yeah. faster, like, and and then being able to, you know, to um, to actually. Yeah, I mean, at the end of my kind of stage racing career, you know, you know, battle head to head in some races with him and stuff. It's just just amazing. And yeah. 
But there's one other guy worth mentioning who is now kind of, as I'm getting older, who's he's, he's 89 now, uh, Lou Hollander. And he happens to be a personal friend from way back. He's actually the father of a guy I grew up with. Um, his son also, Lou, um, good friend of mine as well. But um, Lou, uh, he, I mean, this guy, he, he was, he, so when he, when he was 82, he was the oldest finisher in history of um, Kona, of the, of the Ironman World Champs. Really? Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. There's great, great stuff out there on him. Lou Hollander. Lou Hollander, yeah. And wow. he's, he's just, yeah, what he's kind of done and what he's now, he's 89. He's still, still doing triathlons, um, still out there just cre- creating age brackets. Wow. And I mean, I, every yeah. summer I'm in, I go out on a bike ride with him and he'll be still getting down like an arrow and just like, dude, like what? <laughs> like crazy. And he's got, he's a scientist by, by his career, you know, as far as his career and he's, his science brain applying to anti-aging and just really yeah. amazing guy. Um, just Interesting. Re- yeah, I love that, in- that, like endurance sport as a way to increase longevity. He, uh, there's a there's a definite, he, oh, uh, there's totally. something there for sure. He's a legend on the Ironman scene. If you Google him, and yeah. he'll, he used to be like the grand, the, whatever, the guy that, you know, he's like the man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so yeah, yeah, he... Uh, I mean, you, few you've, people. you've pulled together some of the best athletes around around Asia. What, as like a suppose closing remarks, what would be your advice to your like people looking to get into adventure racing, or um, I suppose adventure racing really, because it's a sport that I really want to try and push the, um, uh, I, I suppose, awareness of again and get people to think about and, and try. Yeah, and hit, I, but. I, um, <clears throat> I mean, this can cross over to ultra as well, um, ultra trail running as well. But I mean. I think, I mean, well, first of all, with adventure racing, of course, is just don't be, uh, first of all, just get, get out there and do it. Don't, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not, let's say you're already strong in trail running and, and, oh, I'm not a mountain biker, I'm not a paddler, but just go for it. Get out there. You'll, you'll learn. You'll pick it up. You'll, there's so, so many opportunities and to, um, to learn from others. Um, and I think you'll find most people in the community are, are keen to share their knowledge and their skills and, um, but I think also just in terms, sometimes the expedition side, it sounds a bit scary, like, whoa, seven days, five days. And I just, it just don't, we have these, you know, perceptions of limits. And it's funny, like, like the four trails running races, you know, like two nights of running or through two nights. And I kind of laugh, not in disrespect, but like, you know, some people are like, oh my God, what are you going to do? You know, it's two nights. It's like, you know, you look at expedition racing, it's like seven days and it's, so in other words, like we can just, yeah, there's the limits are so much further than we realize. I mean, it's just, it's, it's nuts. And, and so just don't put a limit in your mind on anything. And it's in sleep wise, you, the body can respond phenomenally well with short naps. And when you're in that pocket of that intensity of the moment and even more so when you're the team, because not everybody has their low moment at the same time. So you're helping each other. Um, but yeah, don't you just, it's, it's unbelievable what 30 minute nap or one hour, how you can, I mean, you can bounce back easily go 48 hours and just with even like a short nap and just still feel totally, you know, solid as it goes on. Of course, you need to look at maybe getting some more one hour naps, <laughs> but yeah, you know, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. I think also, um, expecting problems going to these big races expect there's going to be problems it's all it's going to happen you're going to get lost or not 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 even to say lost but equipment failure or you know the pain you're going to like the suffering you know somebody in the team is but it's so just expect it and like okay how are we going to manage it because it happens to the 
all the elite level, everybody has problems. Don't think that they're just getting through this thing smoothly. No way. But the best teams are, are, are the most skilled at managing their problems, you know, yeah. and they don't panic. They, okay. You know? and, and the biggest thing is just not to like the, yeah, the blaming culture. Like you're just every, you manage everything oh. as a team, not no one, you know, anything, if something goes wrong with someone, it's, it's all of you, you've got collective accountability oh. for, for everything. I mean, yeah. we were out of, in, in Reunion Island at the World Champs last year, we were out of, at Open Sea and Jay. Jay was of, throwing up, oh, right? I mean, went seasick on us, which is, he'd never been seasick in his life. It was just the swell was so huge. It just triggered something in his body. And he, I mean, he, he threw up at least 20 times. Yeah. And if you're seasick, you're in a kayak. I mean, it was, and he were here, open sun, run out of water, and just like, you know, we hook our boats up together. Like, so now we're, we're tied together, and we just, you know, we lay him down, cover him out of the sun, and just sleep if you can, Jay, or just, I mean, he's so tough, he's able to gut it out, but... You know, you, yeah, you you have to do what you can in that situation. And then the, the, the end of that paddle, two fins popped out of the water. And we were just like, and this is like one of the most shark infested areas of the world. Talk about panic. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like coming straight at us. And we're just like, oh my God, not now. Shark attack, you know. And then all of a sudden they both, they both start swimming in unison. And it's two dolphin fins. We're like, oh, <laughs> Um, Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I feel like we've could only scratch the surface know, yeah, of the uh, of totally. the the stories that you've got um, of of exploration around the world. But um, yeah, we'll definitely have to have you on again. And uh, and yeah, thanks so much for for joining us and uh, and sharing part of your story and the uh, the uh, and yeah, really looking forward to seeing how the team perform out in the Alps this for, year. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll we'll keep in touch. And thanks thanks a, uh, a lot for having me. I um, some of these stories i haven't actually talked about in a long time so it's fun to, to reminisce yeah, yeah i'm like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the story going through yeah. the uh, um through the um himalaya just crazy but uh <laughs> but yeah ryan thanks very much cool. cheers yeah tell the truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining because things ain't that bad hey rick how's it going sir yeah good to see you again scott how was yes. your trip Trip was good. Trip was good. Um, jetting around the UK, um, running on the, um, trying to find hills in the UK, running around London, Bristol, yeah, Crawley. But um, uh, but yeah, what about yourself? You're up in uh, you're up in Lancashire for a bit. Yeah, up north, and then uh, in the Lake District. But uh, the weather was against us, despite it being August. But um, yeah, I managed to get out a bit and. Uh, now just uh, dealing with jet lag on the way back. Yeah, do you? Um, yeah, you were saying you checked out a little bit of the Bob Graham route, didn't you? Oh, there's just so many amazing trails there. It was pretty, uh, pretty foggy and wet, but um, yeah, just a, just a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be one of the bucket lists, isn't it, to get and uh, knock off the Bob Bob Graham round. Um, so yeah, what did you think of Mr. Ryan Blair? Yeah, it was a really good one, wasn't it? Um, just different from some of the ones that we've done before. Uh, and I think, as we were just saying, I think it's it's as much about um, endurance sports as, as following your following your passions and turning that into into a career. Yeah. And clearly, those those early adventures that he had in Asia were pretty formative and 
yeah. have kind of led him down this path. Yeah, I think when, when we talk about our stories of suffering and survival, it's kind of like one of our strap lines. His story of going through um, a Kashmir region and trying to wanting to be a journalist and uh, and, and sort of seeking out the. Um, when there were people being kidnapped and stuff like that's just crazy stories i didn't i wasn't expecting the story to go there it was um yeah i was thinking more about racing but his story of exploration is just yeah it's, it's pretty impressive well and that, that, that now he's kind of quite heavily invested in taking that out to to young people around the region and trying to trying to grow a, a passion for the outdoors and and show them how important it is i think that's really great especially yeah. as you know you and i both being fathers it's uh it's nice to see someone doing that. Yeah, like hearing about, his, let's say he's been out in um, Myanmar um, eight times in the past year and, and working with local international schools that have, you know, a lot of the politicians, kids and stuff and introducing things around the environment there to try and, uh, I suppose, form their opinions moving forward. And yeah, that's, um, yeah, it's uh, really impressive. Um, and the North Face Adventure Racing Team is impressive. I, I love this. He, he told the story about how he met Jay in the bike shop um, and just, uh, yeah, was looking for someone to take him out riding in Chiang Mai. Point is like the dude with the, um, yeah, with like strapping muscles and just like tinkering with a bike, like, and just smashed him on the trails. Um, I think that's a, that's a great little story, but he's he's brought a fantastic team together there hasn't he well and it'd be great to see how they get on at utmb this weekend i guess yeah yeah so it starts monday doesn't it and um uh they've got they're pretty much all racing in um in the main race utmbs um and uh, and yeah it'll be interesting to see how um how they all get on and i think um i believe um sting race uh, yeah is racing in um in triple c and then the, the rest of the team are in utmb but they, they've like stones run it before and a few of them have run it before but this time they've yeah doing it properly getting a house getting their families there i've just seen posts going up on facebook about um yeah all, all at the airport and they i reckon they're gonna have a uh, i reckon they're gonna gonna take it by storm it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting week. There's a whole load of people from Asia um, racing UTMB this year, isn't there? It's, um, well, just, we're just looking, and you've got to, you've got to scroll down the screen just to get to the bottom of the list of people from Hong Kong alone doing the UTMB race itself. Yeah, um, there's just tons and tons. It shows how popular it is, but it also just shows how busy it's going to be on the trails as well. I remember like talking to to Andre Bloomberger about it, and him saying that like, oh, it's just it's too busy in in his eyes but i can imagine that the uh, just imagine running into chamonix at the end of the race and just the atmosphere and it's it's one of those real bucket list races and so um yeah it'll be interesting to see um yeah i'd see like well, who will the top winners will be as well i mean courtney DeWater is going to be uh i see she's racing in the in the female team uh in the uh, uh she's going to be i reckon is a sort of top seed to um to win the um the female category i don't know if you've looked at any of the other male categories who's um is warmsley's uh is he is he racing no right? he's not racing he's not. this time um killian's not either so i think the field's a bit more open than it's been in the last few years yeah i'll uh, we'll have to see we'll yeah check back in the next one yeah no we'll um we'll, we'll uh, have a chat about it when, when we're back again but um but yeah good to see you again mate short and sweet um but uh yeah um we'll uh we'll catch up in a, in a couple of weeks time talk to you soon good man that's a truthful story if they ever ask 
stop the complaining cause things ain't that bad.